Yeah. So he's uh he's given the promise in 12. The promise is ratified and it's put on God himself in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 17, he's given the sign. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same sign up link or simply email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. We're in season three, Promises and Fulfillments. Again, if you're just tuning in for the first time, we are on episode six. So maybe pause here and go back to the first episode of the season. But we are in, we are going through the Covenant Theology yeah. book. By listen, listen to them at 3x speed, get through them really fast, and then come back to this one in 0.5 speed. So you can go through really slow. That's a good idea. I actually found that feature recently on another <laughs> podcast where you can speed up people's voices. I was like, this is awesome. I can listen to it. <laughs> yep. So like speed um, reading, but speed listening. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll, we'll, uh, speed up our own voices every now and then like this and, and really screw you guys up. If we go really <laughs> slow. So if you're listening at two times, it's regular. Oh man, we're, we want to make sure people keep listening to this episode. So <laughs> I'll get back on track. Um, They're too busy laughing there. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll do a little slight pause. Get your laugh, your giggles out. All right. So this covenant theology book is written by, is published by Crossway. It's written by faculty from reformed theological seminary. And this particular chapter is the Abrahamic Covenant. It's chapter six. It's by John Scott Red, uh-huh. and we will be doing this episode uh, reflecting on this chapter. But just as always, I'm just going to briefly mention: check out our show notes. There's a link to becoming a supporter of our show donation. A link to the book where this covenant theology book through crossway where you can purchase it. We want, we're getting a lot of followers and listeners to uh, follow along the book with us. And also a link to the society of reform podcasters, which we are a member of and links for finding reformed churches near you. So yeah, don't let, don't let this end here. Let this end and you joining a reformed church, learning more about this on Sundays. It's a good point. We are not a replacement for your church. We are not a replacement for your pastor. Nope. Yeah. All we do is we introduce you to your pastor. 
we introduce you to your church and we hand you off. You can still listen to us. Absolutely still please, listen to us, please, please. but we hand you off. Yeah. And hopefully your pastor uh, likes our show. Um, I, I <laughs> with so. us, but yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move along here. Um, yep. Let's jump right in. Uh, where do we begin? I got my Bible. I got my covenant theology book in front of me. I got my <laughs> notes. That's all you need in life. Your Bible and covenant theology. So let's take our time with this one. Um, at least I will to gather my thoughts. You might be able to go off the cuff a little more than I, I can, but let's jump in. And I always kind of like to maybe think of the who, what, when, where, and why a little bit, kind of mm -hmm. lay some foundation. So based on the who, obviously it's Abraham. Yeah. Uh, AKA Abram. Yep. Get, get, in, get into that. And uh, Isaac and Jacob. And, yeah. Um, Later on, Jacob. Yep. Yep. So, how about you? How about the? I'll let you kind of. I'll pause because I've talked so much already. Let you let you go, and then I'm going to start kind of <laughs> gathering around my notes and see where we can go. Yeah. Well, if you guys are here or listen, last week we had Dr. Van Pelt talk about the Noahic covenants, and it started with the covenant in Genesis six, which had to do with obedience, but like he talked about the evangelical obedience, where it pointed and he used a fancy word. It was a typological pointing and all typological means it's pointing forward to something. And so Moses' <coughs> obedience is pointing forward to, uh, to Christ's obedience. And so he's given build this ark and then you will get. And so there's kind of this conditional statement where he's not really promising him. He's like, if you do this, then I will do this for you. And Moses does it, and then the ark is built, saves his family, uh, and the ark having, as you heard in Dr. Van Pelt's, this structure, and this structure kind of looking like a temple, kind of sounding like a temple, bringing you back some Eden imagery and pointing you forwards to Sinai and the Ten Commandments, and then Leviticus with all the, the temple imagery there too. And so Moses kind of being a priest and a prophet and a little bit of a king. Um, and then moving towards Genesis 9, after this flood event where God judges the world and reverses creation. So in Genesis 1, he splits the waters and the dry land appears. In Genesis 7 and 8, what happens? All the water comes back. And so the chaos returns to the earth, recreates the earth, and then he gives the mandate back to, to, to Noah. And then Noah's given the same thing. And then the... Uh, the common grace covenant, which is not a salvific covenant because it involves all people and all people are preserved towards judgment. And so if you're judged outside of the covenant that Moses is found or not Moses, that Noah is found in the one that points to Christ and actually is Christ, then your judgment is secure that Christ took it on. And if you're not found in that covenant, then either God is waiting for your repentance or towards your destruction. And so that brings us after Noah is the, there's another um, a gener or genealogy in Genesis 10. And Genesis 10 introduces you to, um, uh, to uh, the Tower of Baal, not Baal, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And then at the end of Genesis 11, we're introduced to Abraham. And we're trying to figure out now with Genesis 12, who is this Abraham? What's he doing here? What's his covenants? 
how is this related to Noah and how is this related to covenants to come? So that's kind of the context for, for Abraham. Hopefully that's helpful for you guys who are listening uh, to situate this, this covenant. I love it. Yeah. You, you did a little nice recap and you got us from Genesis one to 11. Uh, And you know, that's how actually this chapter starts from Dr. Red. He even explains Genesis one through 11. The backdrop. Yeah. And Abraham is really, it's a, there's a, there's a backdrop of one and one through 11 where there's a, glimmer of hope for the plan of redemption so yeah. that seed in genesis 3 that we're promised that will crush it's so all we're waiting for which is covenant theology we're waiting for who's that seed to come who will crush yeah and <clears throat> since you mentioned uh noah and that's kind of where last episode was this was really cool that i found out in the chapter um noah is the 10th from adam uh-huh. and Abraham is the 10th from Noah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's gigantic significance to that. <laughs> Probably I mean, not. But it but can't be that much of a coincidence, right? No, it's cool because there's some um, similarity in the numbers. Um, there's a lot of evidence that the genealogies, they're not complete, but it's not because they're not meant to be complete. They're just, that's not the focus of the genealogy. So it could be, when 10 to Noah and 10 to Abraham, the author's pointing you to a little bit of similarities between these two covenants. Right. Also, um, we start off kind of talking about terminology we've heard in previous episodes. Offspring comes up a lot. So we have the offspring of the woman, talking about Eve. And then we talk about Noah and his offspring. And then we talk about the offspring of Abraham. And mm-hmm. we know the offspring of Abraham points to one specific individual, Jesus Christ, which as actually that one specific individual is the offspring of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. And, um, you know, it could also, he comes from the offspring of Noah, obviously, too, through the line of Seth. But, you know, it's just this repeated terminology of offspring yeah yeah and that happens again with abraham so the offspring stuff with adam offspring stuff with noah then we see a lot of the same stuff with genesis 12 and we hear of a promise that god gives to abram not abraham but abram in genesis 12 with this promised seed that's going to be as many as the sands of the seashore Mm -hmm. and because God doesn't change, it's it's like He's saying the same thing over and over again with new yeah. generations of people. Yeah, yeah, He's He's uh, and it's when He says the same thing, it's partially because the people need to hear it, and the people like us, like you and like me, we're obstinate. Like we forget pretty fast. We forget pretty quickly that this promise is for us, and so we doubt this promise. We doubt that God can come through and fulfill his promise to us. And so when he continually reminds, he's not reminding for himself. He's reminding because we're like, we're forgetful. We forget yeah. his promise. And also not just we're forgetful, but we're stupid. Like we, we, we consistently fail this commandment. We, when we're given this commandment to, to protect this garden and to fill it and to multiply it, to expand his presence, 
Adam flunked that. We flunked that in Adam as well. And so he has to keep on reminding us because we keep failing. Yeah. Yeah, I think finite is more the technical word for stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> well, stupid, yeah. Yeah. Um, I found this also uh, interesting. As the redemptive story becomes more evident in Genesis 1 through 11. So this is where Abraham's covenant kind of picks yeah. up, really picks up steam at the very end of 11, where Terah, yep. his father, is introduced. And... Um, Abraham for the first time is really Abram is first time mentioned yep. and with his wife, uh, Sarai, is that how you'd Sarai. pronounce it? Yeah. Sarai and they're, ch- they're, they don't have any children yet. They're even yeah. introduced for the first time in it. Was eight, and yeah. they're going from Canaan, uh, going to Canaan from Ur. Yep. And- yeah. And Ur is significant because Ur is a Canaanite pagan town. Okay. And there's evidence, we have um, archaeological evidence that there are temples to pagan gods in Ur. And so Abraham is coming from where you don't expect him to come from. Right. He comes from a paganistic, polytheistic, many-god society, and then God calls him out of that. So he's not an Israelite. He's a Canaanite. Right. That's a good point because God does tell him to leave his father's house and yep. go where I tell you. And so that's one point that he's like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving that pagan world, going to where God is telling me. And also that I'm glad you mentioned that because that points out something that's very important to and crucial to understand about Abraham. His faith is the same faith we have. Yeah. And therefore his faith is actually a gift. Do you think that he mustered up faith out of nowhere when he's from a pagan town of Ur about <laughs> exactly. God? No, yeah. his faith is a gift. Yeah. He came out like he was dead in like he didn't have that faith before. It was given to him and he followed God's commands. Yeah, we like we, commands. we so like, often think of Abraham because Abraham fathered the father of Israel. But we think of Abraham as kind of the father of Israel, but he's not an Israelite. He's a Canaanite. And when, he, when the author tells us in Genesis 12 that they're barren, that's not just to tell us, like, oh, they didn't have any kids. Oh, it sucks for them. It's, mm-hmm. in, <clears throat> it's in a direct link to being fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and then again in 9. And so there's this consistent theme of we need a seed, we need a seed, we need a seed, we need to be fruitful, and then we have this barren couple. And so that's the signal you, not don't just like roll over this, it's barrenness, what not, sometimes it's used as a curse, but it's also like they need a kid. They need to yeah. keep this line going. Yeah, and it shows that God, it's evident that God interceded and, and created that uh, baby because... Yep. In one way or another, because um, it's it's like pretty plain and simple through our own human ways of doing things. Like we can't we can't make somebody unbarren, you know. No. So yeah. So, so Nick, actually, how many uh, how many ninety year olds do you know that had a kid? <laughs> well, that birthed a kid at ninety. Yeah. No, I mean absolutely none. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of a really s- smart. Why? Uh, but no, again, you know, none. Really. So uh, that answers that. I mean, also, since we're, I know I wrote this down as a note to bring yeah. up later, but 
just in case we don't get there, this was, I thought, interesting. In Sarah's old age, she's barren, right? And she laughs when she hears the promise of her having a child, which would be Isaac. She literally laughs. She doesn't believe it. So she's old and barren, and God gives her a child that's a promise. Guess what? Mary was young and a virgin. Yeah. And had no way, even more impossible to have a child because she didn't even, she's a virgin. So yeah, barrenness and that kind of thing comes up over and over again. And it, it actually hits an extra climax in the Virgin Mary because it's even more impossible to have a child. But barrenness yeah. comes up a lot <clears throat> in the Bible. Yeah. And even, so there's, there's two things. One is when Mary's called a virgin, usually Old Testament, New Testament, when they're called a virgin, it means they're not, they either are brand, they've just had, like, honestly, they just had their period, probably, um, or they're very, very, very young. And so when Mary's called a virgin, she's probably 13 or 14. Right. So she's, like, just barely at childbearing age. And then when Sarai, she laughs for God's promise, it's both she's laughing because she doesn't think this is possible, but the Hebrew word for laugh is the same exact word for Isaac. Ah. And so when Isaac comes in, it's like, oh, I already heard that word. That's Isaac. It's um, Sa'ak. That's interesting. Yep. And it's I didn't mean to laugh. But I or to, to laugh, yeah. So when she laughs, in her very laugh, there's the name of her son to come. Mm-hmm. And isn't it pointed uh, to a prophet that was born out of barrenness? Isn't that something? There's a couple, yeah. There's a couple prophets that were born out of barrenness. There's a couple um judges that were born not out of barrenness but out of prostitution so there's a there's just a lot to do with childbearing and childbirthing in the old testament well and is uh christ is our high prophet priest and king but yeah high prophet he was born out of the virgin mary and and actually abraham is technically doesn't he have prophetic he's a a a priest Mm -hmm. yeah so he technically comes from a priestly line so you get, we get the, um, we get the either Levites or Aaronites from Abraham. Okay. Yep. Cause Abraham sacrifices in Genesis 14. That's right. Um, so before Abraham, so quick little mention just to get us up to where we're leaving off salvation before Al- Abraham was very individual and occasional but yeah. with Abraham, it became global and progressive. <clears throat> yeah, it was. And this gets us kind of more into the, the structure of these covenants, where God sets a covenant with, with a people in a sense, even though Abraham himself is not Israel. He sets this with the, with the people of Israel. But Genesis 12 gives us the promise of this covenant. The covenant is still technically to come. But when he's promising Abraham for not just a single person, like you said, an occasional, he's promising a corporate salvation. He's promising to your seeds and the seed to come. I will be your God. You shall be my people. I'm going to make you as numerous. I'm going to make your people as numerous. He's promising something. And then in Genesis 15, we get that, we get what that promise is pointed towards. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have heard of these things. This is, this is really helpful. This This is really helpful distinguishing to make. Okay. And you guys may have heard 
The Abrahamic covenant is sometimes called patriarch covenant, you know, because Abraham is the father who was promised all uh, the, the, you know, the, the nations, like the, the Israel and mm-hmm. would, and that would be his offspring would belong to God and redemption of a global level beginning with mm-hmm. the creation of, the, of Israel as his people. So actually mm-hmm. I mentioned that because um, we, there's a lot of information to kind of fill in in this gap. But I'm going to make a statement that we as the church today are Israel because uh-huh. we are the offspring of Abraham through the spirit. Yeah. And Romans four, what Paul writes, says that explicitly. And also in Romans 9, he says, kind of to its negative, not all of Israel is Israel. And so Israel is not just an ethnic people. Israel is God's chosen people. And Israel stayed God's chosen people from Old Testament even till now. Right. True Israel is the chosen people of God. Just like to enter the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. That doesn't mean it automatically saves you. No. Just like entering the covenant today is baptism, that doesn't mean it automatically saves you. No, you're just like what we're given with Abraham. You are entered into this covenant with Abraham. Abraham is your father. And the Pharisees and the Gospels know that. They know of uh, Abraham. They call him their father. And then Jesus corrects them, not saying that Abraham can't be your father, but he's telling the Pharisees, He's not your father because you are not true Israel. Even though you're ethnically Israel, you're not true Israel. Yeah, wonderful. Okay. So I'm going to jump, if you don't mind, right to Genesis 12, which uh, Dr. Red describes as the introduction part. Um, Even though we were briefly introduced to Abram in the end of Genesis 11, Genesis 12 really is a full kind of chapter that's going to really go into – fully introducing Abraham responding to God's call mm-hmm. where he's leaving Ur, going to Canaan. Abraham learns the three constituent promises of the covenant mm-hmm. with him from God, which is land nation and global blessing. Yep. Yeah. So he's given the, the promise of this covenant right here and what the implications and the promise of the covenant will turn out to be for him. It's not just, I will be for you. It's these are the blessings that I will give you. Not on your account. There's, there's, if you notice in Genesis 12, nothing lands on Abraham. Nothing's like, oh, you have to do this in order for you to get this. Everything is God saying, I will do this for you. You're just a pure recipient of God's promise. And like with any of the covenants we talk about, they're all initiated by God. Yep. The God, the, any covenant that's between man and God is always initiated by God. Yeah. And the difference lying on who are the stipulations, meaning who are the rules landing on? Are they landing on man to fulfill, which is the covenant of works, or are they landing on God to fulfill it for man, which is the covenant of grace? Mm, Very good. So in chapter 12, it talks about, from what I understand, it's the first time it mentions uh, Abraham in this point, Abram, uh, mm-hmm. building an altar. And he does this a couple times. Yep. Do you have any feedback on the, the significance of building altars in, in different places? Yeah, and he does it um, 
right after the the covenant is given to Abraham. And it's 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 because when this <clears throat> was written and pronounced to the people of Israel, uh, they're sometime before exile, and so they know what the temple is. And so the author is writing this to show them that Abraham is part of the Levit- uh, is part of the priesthood. So he's still sacrificing, but he's sacrificing in response to the covenant, not sacrificing to be initiated into the covenant, but because he's already part of it. Okay. Um, so that, that plays a big factor and, and not funny, <clears throat> but it's significant that after, right after the covenant, he sacrifices, what does Abraham do to Sarah and Pharaoh? Right after the covenant's promised to him, he gives Sarah to the yeah. Pharaoh. He said, he said, this is my sister, right? Yeah. He was actually scared. He actually didn't fully trust God in his promise. And, and he still was kind of fearful of man, Pharaoh. And so he was like, Sarai, my wife is really beautiful. And uh, I. Pharaoh's going to want her. Yeah. So I'm just going to say. To get her. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say she's, he's my sister, which we read now. And we're like, I don't know how he was coming to this weird plan, but okay. Either way, God, you know, knew what he wanted to have accomplished. So he fixed the situation and actually shows that God, unlike pagan false gods of certain tribes and areas, which are limited to their geographical boundaries. Yeah the true God of the universe is not limited by boundaries. So he actually is just as much the God of Egypt totally. yep. and Pharaoh. And so he scared the, uh, I was going to say the pants off Pharaoh. I don't think they wore pants back then. <laughs> <laughs> the, the tunics. Yeah. And Pharaoh's like, take, take Sarai and, and take all this stuff and leave. And so Abraham ended up getting a bunch of riches, a bunch of stuff to take on his journey from. Yeah. Egypt. And it's, I think it's, I mean, just at a human level for us, <clears throat> this is encouraging for us who were in this covenant, which the covenant with Abraham didn't rely on his obedience. If it relied on his obedience, right after he gave away Sarah, this covenant should have been revoked with Abraham, but it's not revoked. He fails right after the covenant's given him, but it's because the covenant lands on God's responsibility to fulfill it, not on man's responsibility. It's covenant of grace because mm-hmm. the covenant we'll talk about in Genesis 15 is given to him in true form in Genesis 15, the, what you call the covenant ceremony. And so yeah. Abraham is given the covenant promise in Genesis 12. He fails right after yet God still promises because it doesn't land on Abraham. It lands on God. Isn't that strange how um, that, you know, our response to God's covenants is over and over again, really obedience. Like we're supposed to do something like we're supposed to respond in a, in a way of, of doing what he tells us to do. Yeah. And precisely what he tells us to do. Yeah. Yeah. And we always fail. (laughs) So we always break God's covenants. Yep. He always responds in grace. Yeah. That's it's, it is ridiculous. And so I I think it should give, Christians who struggle with assurance that because you're placed into this covenant, there's nothing you can do to fail your side of this covenant because God is the one who covenanted with you, not you with him. Because there is something you did that you failed, which made this covenant required for you 
on God's behalf. But I think it's just, it's a note of um, assurance for us. It's something that I think we miss right after this covenant. He flunks. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, this is very early in the biblical history. Um, even though a lot of time has probably passed from Adam and Eve to uh, Abraham, what we look like, maybe it's about 20 generations or however that's interpreted, but still grace is talked about over and over and over again. And, and, and God, for whatever reason, picks Abraham out of all these people and says, I'm going to create my covenant people through your offspring. And for even Abraham to have the ability to hear that, to respond to it, to have faith is a gift. Yep. Yep. And that, I think that's a, actually a perfect segue into Genesis 15, six and Genesis 15. So you see Genesis 12 to 14, this covenant's all of grace. That's it. There's no obedience to it. And that can sound really weird to a lot of evangelicals where the thing, the promise given to Abraham didn't require his obedience. It just required his faith. And so he had faith that God was going to do what he did. And so his faith in Genesis 15, 6 is credited to him as righteousness, not because Abraham's a righteous person, but because he had faith in the righteous one that's given him this righteousness. Yeah. And that section is called in Genesis 15 um, ratification. Yeah. So the the covenant is ratified, which is um, immediate concerns of the land and offspring. So that's where we get into that really cool part of the Abrahamic covenant where the viscera of the animal parts is split. They walk through it. God walks through and says, you know, this is actually an ancient uh, uh, way of showing a covenant. And so it's Abraham actually responds being like, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it was it was how things were done. And ratification, for those who might not know, it's just he's showing Abraham what he meant from Genesis 12. And so this is it's, you can call ratification a ceremony. They're going through a ceremony to for God to show them this is my promises in the Genesis 12 covenant. And then the viscera is just it's it's comes from, it comes from it's a visible he can see these dead carcasses in front of him split open and when he sees this line of split open carcasses he knows from other political ceremonies so it's a political ceremony he knows from other political ceremonies precisely what's about to happen this is not new to him right so god communicates in a way we would understand yeah exactly so he he communicates in a way he understands and if i can help um, kind of describe this in a, in a succinct way. These split open animals as he's walking through it should also remind us of sacrifice language because right. something had to die for this covenant to be ceremonially sure for right. Abraham. It's also talked about in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. He talks about the same exact ceremony. Um, Dr. Red doesn't go into the, the Jeremiah explanation of this, but Jeremiah talks about this where the person who walks through these split halves has the obligations of that covenant on him. Right. And so in this story in Genesis 15, technically, who do you expect to walk through these split halves? You expect Abraham because he's the one given all the blessings. Cause it usually was this, what they call a suzerain, which is just like an emperor an emperor telling this defeated land, Hey, I'll give you all these things. 
Now walk through these severed halves because I'm giving you the benefits. I'm not getting any benefits. So you tell all these other people to walk through them walking through is them saying, if I fail any single one of this guy's stipulations, let what happened to these split halves happen to me. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah is- says that in, um, it's like Jeremiah, somewhere in the twenties, chapter twenties. Yeah. And so God is actually the one. Yeah. God walks through it, which when you like, we read it as even Job was like, well, of course, but if you read it as an Israelite, they're like, what are you serious? God went through this, not Abraham. Yeah. So when you start chapter 15 of Genesis, the big problem is maybe Abraham's assurance. And so God shows this ceremony to him, really physically portraying the covenant and saying, hey, if I break my own covenant, I won't be God anymore. Yep. And then we know because God does not lie. Right. Abraham knows that God is going to fulfill his own covenant. And so Abraham's promise, his blessings, rides on God's obedience. And God's always obedient. He's perfect. And he can't not be God. So your assurance is as strong as the infinite, ultimate, powerful God. Yeah. In this. this Yeah, and it's it's also significant, too. The flaming torch in Genesis 15 reminds you when you get to Exodus, when they come out from Egypt, the flaming pillars as the Israelites are walking from Egypt. They're walking through kind of this exile land into the promised land. They're walking towards the promised land. And so these flaming torches are a visible representation of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. And there's a, a pot there's yeah. in, that goes, yeah, in the fire. And then um, it's predicated, this ceremony, this covenant ratification ceremony is predicated, Dr. Red's clarifies and and says in here is predicated on Abraham's faith in the Lord's promises, meaning Mm -hmm. before the ceremony started for him to observe it, he had to have had faith. Yeah. And the faith is, and we can clarify too, the faith is not anything other than he has faith in the one who's going to do this for him. It's just him placing his faith onto the object that is going to accomplish this for him. The faith doesn't do anything. It just places, he says, I know that God will fulfill this. And that is his faith. Yep. Um, and and so, also too, even after Genesis, Genesis 15, it is striking. Abraham fails again after Genesis yeah. 15. I was going to jump there. There's a couple other notes I was going to say, but it we can go with it. Like, so it's funny is not funny. Ha ha. But interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and repetitive that after this amazing ceremony yeah. that is like, I can't believe God showed him that. That's great. He immediately fails. Yeah. Which is a picture that, of us. It's all oh, for sure. No matter how many times we're told about this, that this covenant is sure, we're still going to fail, which emphasizes how unconditional this covenant is. It's not, it doesn't land on your or my or the listeners. It doesn't land on your obedience. Yep. And before we jump there, do you mind if we pause on that? Uh, uh, yeah, go for it. Genesis 16. I just kind of want to say some notes. So based on the ratification ceremony, which we find in Genesis 15, 
is the cutting of the viscera of the animal parts. Um, but it's also, if we, we'll talk about this in a minute, it's reiterated in something else we'll talk about in Genesis 17. Yep. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, be God's response to Abraham's fail, failure in Genesis 16, yep. which we'll talk about in a second. Now, <clears throat> with other parts, aspects of Genesis 15, we might not have kind of briefly covered. Um, uh, Sarai's barrenness is still a real problem. Yep. And so he's really, Abraham's mind is kind of wondering, okay, God promised me I'm going to be a father of all these people, these nations and whatnot, God's people. Mm -hmm but my wife is old and barren. So how is this going to be a problem? So Abraham needs to trust God, despite how impossible it seems to in human terms. Yeah. So you can kind of see the struggle in Abraham's head. And this is what actually kind of steps towards Genesis 16. So Abraham, well, starting with Sarah, Sarai at this point, um, kind of, I don't know, it kind of sounds, maybe I'm off, but it's almost reminded me of Eve in the garden, like Eve yeah. was the person to bring, True. Uh, was, was tempted, and, and Adam fell because of Eve, and then yeah. now, now that's, that's Abraham's, Abraham's falling because of Sarai is mentioning to him, hey, you know what, I'm old, there's no way God can fill this promise, uh, because I'm old and barren, look at look at this human condition, right? So he's yeah. she says, go to my go to my servant uh, Hagar yep. and you know be with her. This is a PG show, so we'll just kind of <laughs> stay right there. And then um, fulfill God's terms in your confirm uh, confirm God's promises in your terms, pretty much. And that is pretty much the first lie of the garden. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's doing the same exact thing Eve did in Genesis 3, which yeah. is try to bring out promises on her own and say, no, I know better than God, because she adds to God's promise, which is exactly what Sarah does. She says, oh, yeah. I know God is confirming this covenant with you. That's nice and all dandy. But let me show you on, yeah, like you said, let me show you in human terms. We can do this on our own. Yep. And then that shows you, again, the nature of our obedience. Like, you and I, we're going to fail this all the time and try to bring about the kingdom, try to bring out these promises, trying to bring out all these things on our own and say like, Oh, I know what God said, but I think I can do it a little better. Yep. We constantly do that. It's almost like God's trying to teach us something. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're, <laughs> we all think we know better like Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. It doesn't like, it just doesn't land on us because if it landed on you and I and you listeners we would have already failed this many, 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 many times, just like Abraham. But because the child from Hagar is still a physical offspring of Abraham, God is still kind to Hagar oh, yeah. and Ishmael. And um, that's kind of a separate side story, but kind of just moving along with the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will stick, stick to that line. So, now we jump into Genesis 17, right? And so yeah. this is God's response. And right after, you know, Adam's failure, 
and it is to confirm the offspring to come and an amendment to the covenant that was ratified in Genesis 15. And so yeah. this is under, this is where Abraham at 99 years old, men, listen to this for a second, 99 year old. How would you like to be circumcised at 99 years old? <laughs> yeah, that would not be fun. <laughs> no. So that's what happens, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's, uh, he's given the promise in 12. The promise is ratified and it's put on God himself in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 17, he's given the sign. And so we were asked a question on Twitter. Are all of these the same covenants or are these different covenants? And these are all part of the same covenant. They're just different pieces, different signs of this same covenant. Yeah. Are we jumping to those guys questions or should i save my our answers for i think one of yeah one of them was from daniel cook had a, a couple questions he asked in one of them should we see the different passages in genesis as one covenant with multiple promises or a single covenant revealed over his time or a collection of covenants and so we can see it's the same substance so the substance of this covenant is the covenant of grace which allows God, where he sets up this covenant, when Abraham fails it multiple times, that's why God's grace comes in that he promised him in Genesis 12 and all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that he's not going to crush Abraham because Abraham's part of this covenant, that he's the father of, but he's also part of this covenant. So he's given the promise of the covenant in 12, and it's, it's revealed further and further what this covenant is and what it means from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22. Yeah. So same exact covenants, but we're given a fuller picture of what this covenant is, what it requires, and what the signs of the covenant are. Yeah. Yeah, and in Genesis 17, there's an emphasis on God's unilateral participation in the covenant. Yeah. So the, the promise from the ratification ceremony is reiterated into circumcision so yeah yeah and then circumcision yeah that's this is a this is a big topic yeah in, in covenant theology so how could you help um explain the um perilousness that how it how circumcision may point to the ratification ceremony and the cutting of the animal how it's cut maybe the symbolism of being cut off yeah um, and so I can get into the, to the cutoff a little bit, but here's, here's a passage and it comes from Abraham when Paul is actually, he's describing the covenant given to Abraham. And so here is, uh, Romans four verses nine to 12. And so Paul actually gives us the answer to the circumcision question right here. Oh, thank you, Paul. <laughs> when he says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, which comes from Genesis 15. How then was it, was it counted to him? Because remember, in Genesis 15, was Abraham circumcised? Not no. yet. Nope. Not circumcised until Genesis 17. Right. He has faith, so it's not tied to the circumcision. Amen. Faith comes before. And then he says, 
he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so a huge verse in my understanding of circumcision, and we'll put our cards on the table. Circumcision is baptism for us, where circumcision is your interest in the covenant community. Circumcision is not baptism in the sense that you're professing faith. And we get that from verse 11. He says he received the sign of circumcision to seal the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still circumcised. And then this is the crucial sentence. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness yeah. would be counted to them. And so he actually splits circumcision and righteousness. Circumcision does not equal righteousness. We're not saying with Circumcision and baptism, baptism does not equal righteousness. Baptism is your inclusion into this Abrahamic covenants. Righteousness comes after with your profession of faith. And, and that way you can be a Gentile mm -hmm. and be part of Abraham's offspring. Guess who else was a Gentile? Abraham. He's not an Israelite. So they He's started, started, yeah. So he got circumcised, the, is, Israel is circumcised. And then now as baptism in the New Testament, I know Baptists out there, just bear with us, listen to us. Just, <laughs> yeah. I'm listening. We'll give you so, your fair shot, but this is our so, interpretation. Yeah. So um, New Testament baptism replaces Old Testament circumcision. We, as the church, capital C church, are Israel. Israel. Yep. We are Israel. Yep. Yeah. And Paul says that explicitly. There's another <clears throat> verse, Colossians 2, verses 11 to 12. And he says, Paul says, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And literally circumcision is putting off the body of the flesh, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised you from the dead. And you heard dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Yeah. So Paul's, Paul's belaboring this point and saying circumcision pointed to they were included in the same covenants of Abraham. Yes. He's giving them the same promise. The promise, though, does not mean that they're within the same covenants. He's promising them, though, that when your faith comes in, it's counted to you as righteousness. And it's so interesting in verse 11 of Romans 4 that he splits circumcision and faith. He says your faith comes post-circumcision. And that's why we as, as um, Reformed Presbyterians, we see this, we see faith coming after circumcision because we are part of the same covenant. And the church, kind of going further along too, 
And again, there's there's definitely there's room for disagreement in this. Let me make that super clear. You can you can disagree with this. You can still be saved. You can still see the same yeah. salvation in Christ. Like, let me make that abundantly clear. Yeah. That this does not relate to your salvation whatsoever. Right. Um, but what we see of the of the covenants, what we see of circumcision, and we see the church. Is the church much like Israel in the Old Testament is yeah. made of both believers and unbelievers? Yeah. The true church, the invisible church, is made of just believers. But the right. visible, we can't tell who's a believer and a believer and an unbeliever. And so there are those who are circumcised, baptized in the New Testament, who are not true, quote unquote, Israelites, just like in the Old Testament. Right. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. So in the Old Testament, there was the nation, state, ethnicity of people from yep. Israel who were circumcised, but yep. not all of them were true Israelites, meaning they might have been in the covenant nation, uh, but they weren't um, actually saved people. They're not all of them. Not 100% of them were saved people. That's just the mm -hmm. way it is. And just like today, um, not everybody in that is in the church that yep. is in church is saved. So yeah. And Paul, they are, I mean, we, we want her, but it yeah. is what it is. And I mean, really technically speaking, no, besides those who come from outside the faith. So for those who don't come from a believing household and you see this in, in, um, in acts, you see a couple households that are baptized with the father, the wife, and kids, and whoever might have been part of the house. If you look into those, they're Roman, generally speaking. They're not of Israel. Right. So they weren't from this faith. So, I mean, the whole family had to get baptized from the belief, from the um, father and mother down to the kids, the grandmas, whoever it may have been. And so Paul is belaboring, the gospels are belaboring to us. That if you come from outside of the covenant community, then that's baptism. Because you need to be baptized into the covenant community. And when you're baptized into the covenant community, then you take the Lord's Supper. And this goes kind of further along than we need to. But then you take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper being your profession of faith because you're identifying with Christ's flesh and his blood. Yeah. And we talked about this before, but Baptists, our Baptist brothers and sisters do such a better job than us Presbyterians. Oh, absolutely. Getting outside the church people coming in. And <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. And that's that, the nature of their baptism is you have to get baptized. Yeah. I wish we, us Presbyterians can still baptize adults. We oh just, yeah. Whatever reason don't see it that often. No. Yeah. And it's, you baptize Presbyterians. So we make this abundantly clear. If you guys want to make an audio clip, whatever it is, Presbyterians baptize believers, but the believers who come from outside the church, those who are not part of the covenant community, when they profess faith, they're baptized. So Presbyterians, we do both. We baptize babies and we baptize adults. Okay, cool. So anyway, we'll, we'll get was, back on that. That was a digression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, that's good. This is why, you know, we're just kind of going off uh, trying to. But it's, it's so crucial on the Abrahamic covenant. That's why we bring right. this up. Yeah, yeah. Explain our own commentary from reading the chapter. Not all the stuff we say is what Dr. Red says in the chapter. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't really go into baptism and circumcision. So we're we're no, kind of providing some commentary on it. Yeah, he does he does illustrate, you know, what 
the um, the uncircumcised shall be cut off from God's people. And, yeah. And so it's just making the importance of of being circumcised back then. And so in chapter 17, we have a story of Abraham. He's persisting in his faithfulness. Um, he's You could see him growing in what we would call his, uh, safely call his sanctification. Like you could yeah. see him. Yeah, he's given the sign. He's uh, put into this covenant. So he's slowly being made more into the image of who we know as Christ. And, and um, he still has faith after he fails he doesn't run away from god and that kind of introduces us to chapter 22 but before i mention chapter 22 because there's you're going to go say well what happened between 17 and 22 just a quick thing 18 is really if you read chapter 18 it's learning about how sarah sarah learns that she'll give birth at an old age chapter 19 is the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and how mm-hmm. warnings of it and how it's destroyed and how Lot, um, who is Abraham's nephew, escapes with his family, except mm-hmm. his wife. And then um, chapter 20 is an actual human mention of a covenant between two humans, Abraham and uh, Ab- Abimelech. Abimelech. Yeah. And so there's a covenant between those two guys. Um, This might be the first time a covenant is mentioned without God being one of the people. I think you're right. Yeah. And then chapter 21 is the birth of Isaac. So we go to chapter 22. This is the confirmation section where Abraham's faith in God is confirmed in the test he undergoes. This very big story you guys hear about where God tells Abraham to uh, take his son Isaac up to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice um, seems crazy. Yep. Yeah, human sacrifice. <laughs> it's a test, and Abraham um, looks like he's going to follow through with it. And mm-hmm. and but God never intended to have Isaac killed. And actually, what's Doctor Red doesn't point this out, but I think what's interesting is when the angel of the Lord says, stop Abraham, um, don't kill Isaac. Um, and then there's some things more said there, but yeah. it's what's cool is that God tells him to stop. And he's and I feel like God is saying, you're not going to kill your son. You're not going to sacrifice your son. I'm going to have my son come to earth and pay that penalty sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't say so, and like he doesn't explicitly say, I'm gonna have right. my son. He has a substitute, right? And the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 actually, I mean, he gives us the interpretation. And this is, that's what great, that's what's great about the Bible. You don't have to make up an interpretation because the Bible interprets itself, right? And the preacher to the Hebrews, uh, I think it's like verse seven to 11, somewhere around there, uh, chapter 11, verses seven, something somewhere in the beginning of chapter 11. But he tells us Abraham had faith in the resurrection to come. And you see that at the very beginning of Genesis 22, when he tells those who are at the base of this mountain, we will come back. And so there's either an assumption that Abraham knows that something's going to happen on that mountain, that a sacrifice is going to be provided for Isaac, 
or what's probably the most likely, and the author of Hebrews tells us this, is Abraham thinks that Isaac will be resurrected huh. if he sacrificed. That's exactly what the author of Hebrews tells us, is yeah. Abraham has faith that he will get his son back from the dead. Well, and he was kind of on the right path because it wasn't Isaac that would be resurrected, but Jesus yeah. Christ. And, and Abraham had some understanding because Jesus tells the Pharisees in John 8, basically that, that Abraham had faith in the one to come because the Pharisees talked to Abraham or talked to Jesus and Jesus tells them, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And the Pharisees are like, well, you're not even 50 years old. How can he like ever have possibly, Abraham lived in like the 19th century B.C., how can you have possibly seen Abraham? And it's because, likely, of Genesis 22, that Abraham had an indication that the resurrection of the dead would come. Yeah. And once the angel of the Lord said, stop, you know, uh, don't kill Isaac, um, Abraham is like, thank goodness. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you can only imagine how like <laughs> big of a relief it was. And then that doesn't just stop there. It actually, God provides a ram. Yep. Yeah, provides a substitute. Yeah, he provides a substitute. That that ram right there even points to Christ. Yeah, and I'm I'm convinced that it was a test technically of Abraham, kind of of his faithfulness, but I'm convinced that Abraham saw resurrection. That it was kind of a test, but like he I I I yeah, he was it was gonna suck to lose his son, but I'm convinced by again what, what the preacher of the Hebrews tells us that. Abraham's like, yeah, my son will be resurrected. That's just, that's what's going to happen. Well, technically, his offspring, who is Christ, mm -hmm. is resurrected. Yeah. It's just not as direct. It's not as immediate uh, offspring of Isaac. It's yeah, I, yeah. Abraham wouldn't have known the name of Christ, but he understood the resurrection and the righteousness. He understood those. And that's what Abraham needed for his faith to be credited as righteousness in Genesis 15, which he still believes in the same Christ that we all do. We just know the name. Yep. Abraham has the same faith in Christ as we do. Yep. Yeah. And that kind of brings us all back to kind of a, another question that we, from the same guy uh, on Twitter where he's, he's asking, um, is this, is this the same covenants is, is there any difference between 1689, what they call federalism, or 1646, which is Presbyterianism? And that's that's where we see in Abraham, we see the true actual covenants of grace in place. That Jesus Christ in substance, just being in the promise that's actually there, is there. That Abraham believes in Christ. Not the, necessarily the name of Christ. But yeah. he believes in Christ. He believes in the one to come. He believes in the resurrection. He believes all that's necessary to believe to be considered really a Christian. Abraham is yeah. as far as we can not as far as we can tell, but he's he's a Christian. He believes in Christ to come. And yeah. so it's this, it's the same covenants. Christ is there totally in substance. It's not just pointing towards a covenant. And that's what Paul is at pains to tell us in Romans 4. It's he's not just pointing towards a covenant to come. It's like, oh, I see something in the future. It's not here yet, but it's coming in the future. Paul is telling us, no, 
Abraham saw it and he saw it there. Yeah. Man, this is good. Um, so Abraham in chapter 22, it shows that he has trust in the Lord yep. and the Lord confirms his promises of a nation's people. And it's going to be through Isaac. Yep. And um, the primary focus is to begin his dynasty, family line, offspring, through, from, through Isaac. Um, yep. It's not going to be through Ishmael, um, but God will still bless Hagar and Ishmael and send them along their way in a, in a different path. Yep. Um, God tests Abraham's faith, what we just explained. And then... God revealed more clearly at this point as a savior, the covenantal name Lord all in caps is used. And that, if you guys are ever reading the Bible and you're like, why is Lord all in caps versus uh, capital L and then lowercase O R D. Yeah. It'll switch between Lord, which is the Hebrew word Yahweh mm -hmm. uh, or Adonai and God, which is the Hebrew word for Elohim. Mm hmm. So, so it's explicit right there that the covenant name Lord in all caps, Yahweh is used. And yep. guess what? Here's where another little point back to Garden of Eden I found. Um, so Lord addresses God, Yahweh addresses Abraham. And guess what? Abraham says, here I am. Guess what Adam said in the garden when he said, Adam, where are you? He, he kind of hid from. Yeah, he hid, he hid from him. Yep. But, but Abraham shows extra faith at this point. He's a better Adam at this point. He's like, here I am. I'm right here, God. He's showing he's, he's with, he's with God. Like he's, he's gonna, he's one of God's. Um, yeah. The, the covenant is becoming, yeah. It's not becoming more real. It's becoming expanded. He's understanding the fullness of the covenant more. Yeah. Give so it to Adam, say, but it's being explicated more. So it shows directly right there, just by him saying, here I am, Abraham is in Christ. He's not in Adam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the so, covenant is truly with Abraham. He's not pointing towards that is the covenant. That is, that is truly the substance of Christ with Abraham. So real, before we jump off, I got the ants. I got a couple answers to uh, our friends on Twitter that asked some questions. Do you want to address your answers, and then I can jump into mine? The ones on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so we answered one of them, or we answered a couple of them from uh, when we posted about recording this, and it was from Daniel Cook. Yeah, and he had a couple of them. Says, so my correct understanding, both old and new covenant are under the Abrahamic versus the Reformed view, which is technically correct. What we're saying, what I think covenant theology says more explicitly, is both the covenant of works and covenant of grace are present in both old and New Testament. It's what ties everything together. Yeah, the covenants tie everything together, and the covenant of grace to nuance it is truly actually in substance in the covenant uh, or in the old testament and so yeah. christ is truly in both testaments he is truly the the fullness of the covenants that they believe in in the old testament they really do believe in christ yep yeah and they're just pointing forward towards christ yeah. so that's then, what that's what ties into the testaments together so if you guys want to go to the westminster confession of faith 
seven dot five dash six. Yep. That's a yeah, good, five sections, five to six. Yeah, that's a nicely summarized uh, answer for you. Yep. Uh, uh, what's his name, Danny? Daniel? Yeah. Um, so what it is, is we confess that the Abrahamic Mosaic and New Covenant are all administrations of one covenant yep. of grace. Yep. Uh, in different administrations. Correct. So administ administrations is like a subcategory, right? Yeah, so it's, so I mean, to nuance it, it's one substance, multiple administrations. This one substance is the covenant of grace, which is Christ. And it's administered in different ways throughout redemptive history. Yeah. So in, even in the Reformed Church, we may have some diversity looking at the nature of the Mosaic Covenant whether, you know, it contains the works principle and whatnot, but the difference is, is you don't want to um, go astray and lumping the Abrahamic Correct. and Mosaic covenants to, uh, together, because Paul never can uh, construct, uh, he never takes the Abrahamic co covenant. No, he actually contrasts them. Yeah, he does. He Paul contrasts uh, Abrahamic the new covenant like he does with the mosaic. Yep. So yeah, that's, yeah, this is, that, that's exactly what he does. He talks about the covenants with Abraham and then the one that came, the covenant, the, the law, which came 430 years after. And so he splits them. Then he says the covenant that came with Abraham is grace. The covenant that came after is works. Yeah. And so, doesn't mean, and this kind of gets um, this kind of gets misunderstood that mosaic is just works. Mosaic is not just works. Mosaic is still under the same substance, so it's still under the covenant of grace, but it has, like you said, it has a works principle, and we'll get into that once we get into the covenant with Moses in another chapter. Yeah, and I apologize if I kind of confuse you guys because as I was saying it, I don't know if I was kind of. Uh miss saying anything but where it kind of comes down to is uh paul argues that the the new is the fulfillment of the abrahamic right yeah yeah the okay. yeah with jesus christ is the fulfillment not different or just pointed to right. jesus christ is the covenant made with abraham there we go and you could you could look at romans 4 and galatians 3 and I guess my other thing was with Daniel's question uh, about John eight, I yeah. guess uh, it could be, would it be that um, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that they're not in the covenant at all, uh, that they weren't in the covenant. They're doing the work of the devil or. Yeah. So when this, this especially happens with Paul. And so when Paul talks about the circumcision party, uh, people will lump circumcision with the circumcision party, which is not what Paul's doing. Paul is saying those who are of the circumcision party make circumcision a condition of your salvation. And he says, if you follow circumcision, he says, that's the, that's the Jewish practice of, if you follow circumcision, you have to follow all the rest of the law too. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying that. So he's nuancing. He's not saying circumcision is not baptism he's saying what they're saying is in order for you to be circumcised you have to follow all of the law and follow all of it perfectly yeah and, and again so talking to the pharisees and sadducees yeah. in the context of uh romans 8 
where he's talking about Abraham. Uh, so he says in Roman or uh, in John eight, he talks about in fifty three. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? As they see a connection between Abraham, circumcision, and them. And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my, see my day. And here's the kicker. He saw it and was glad. Mm. And then verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Mm -hmm. Which is what Yahweh tells Moses in Exodus 3. I will be who I will be. That's the same Greek construction that's in John 8, 58. And so he's saying, I was that. Abraham saw me. Yeah. Didn't just point to me, hoping one day I'll come and have faith in just something that's out there are not really faith and just kind of waiting until the new Testament. He actually had faith in Christ. He didn't have a vague faith of something arbitrary. He had a very clear faith in who Christ was and who, what he represented and what he was going to do. It was more, he just, like he said, he didn't maybe know his exact name or anything, but he <laughs> yeah. was like, this is the Messiah yep. and he's going to be uh, sacrificed and resurrected. And, uh, everything that Christ did. So yeah, and that's that tends to be the difference between kind of Reformed Baptist and Reformed Presbyterian okay. is how you see Abrahamic. It's not really how you see anything else. And they'll see this kind of goes back to your original question, where if you lump Abraham and Moses together, you tend to see Abraham as conditional. You tend to see that these are the things necessary that Abraham has conditions set on him. He's got no condition set on him. We had an episode a little while ago. We, it was one with a guest and they briefly taught, we talked about Moses. Mm -hmm. And I remember that coming up that mo, the, even the Mosaic covenant is very commonly misinterpreted. Yep. Um, anyway, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but yeah, that I think we just, this is going to be good. Oh, yeah, this that, episode yeah, is a recording. That's an interview that's coming out with um, Dr. Stephen Myers. We talked a little bit about the Mosaic Covenant with him. Ah, uh, okay. So you guys are going to hear this episode from Stephen Myers. September. On, it's a book club? Yeah, book club. Yeah, and uh, he, we're going to touch on that. So between that, this episode, and next episode's Mosaic Covenant, yep. you're going to really, this is going to really be where rubber meets the road on a lot of stuff. Yeah. But... Here's also another comment too. Um, we're like really drilling into the circumcision thing. This is where it really gets talked about. So circumcision cannot give life in and of itself. It right. was an expression of faith that Abraham already had. And faith was a gift that God gave him. Abraham yeah. did not come up with faith, just like we don't come up with faith on our own. It's yeah. for whatever reason, we are um, chosen to have faith. It's a, yeah, it's a, and, and maybe let me help too, because I, I can see yeah. or see some people saying, well, Abraham was given this sign of the circumcision after his faith, which is true. But you think about it, he was not an Israelite. He was a Gentile. So he comes from outside, inside to the covenant community. It starts with him, 
he gives that same sign to his sons before they have faith in the one to come. Yeah. And so Abraham, when he's given the sign of circumcision, everyone says, well, he had faith and was credited to him as righteousness, and then he was circumcised. So yeah, absolutely, that's the same as today where somebody comes from outside the church with no faith, they join the covenant community, and then they're baptized. It's no different. Yep. yep. Cool. Well, we're about out of time, but what I'm going to do is real quick, because we did skip over one part, and then I'll let you end it, Peter. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, quickly, um, we didn't mention whatever happens in Genesis 13 and 14. So it's a real quick part that's sandwiched in here. So kind of the main, I'll skip over some of the stuff because we did reiterate it. Um, there's some cool stuff that happens in there. Uh, Melchizedek is introduced. Yep. And, and he's a very interesting person and he blesses Abraham and he's kind of a representation of the earlier pre Abrahamic knowledge of God. And so he gives him confirmation of some assurance. So Abraham feels really like there's extra assurance by being blessed by Melchizedek. Um, and there's some, there's some kind of um, exp explanation of what's going on with his nephew Lot, where Lot actually, Abraham kind of makes a, a little bit of a mistake where he lets Lot have the first choice of land because they needed to kind of part ways. Mm -hmm. Is there, they're, they're, after they left Egypt, they had um, such a big group of people yeah. that they need to split up. And Lot, he let Lot for, no reason at all really doesn't say yeah have the first choice of land and he picked the better choice on along the jordan river and abraham got like the the kind of second best kind of yeah. place but god still blesses the land that abraham got yep yeah and also because abraham was wasn't supposed to give that land right <laughs> it's so fun yeah it's you just you just drilled in and hopefully we can and, and i'm sorry if it sounds repetitive but we need it we yeah. flunk this all the time. Yet God is still gracious because he made this covenant with you. That's it. He's not gracious just because he's like, he is gracious, but he's gracious because he's already covenanted with you in Christ. And that's why he's gracious to you. And Abraham kept messing up. And if he kept giving grace and helping Abraham out, and he was like the patriarch covenant guy, you know, uh, how much more like he's, your assurance is really there for us. I yep. mean, we're in the same covenant that, that Abraham was in and um, we're not even the patriarch of it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We're in the same one. So, so yeah, hopefully we, we didn't piss off all the Baptists who, nah, who don't we're see this. <laughs> we're see. brothers. And, yeah. We're, but hopefully it, it, maybe I can just leave it with this. I'm hoping we both presented, if you don't come from a Presbyterian perspective on this, which we do think is biblical and a better interpretation, but if you don't come from this perspective, I hope we represented your position as well as you would. Yeah. And another thing, like just to kind of hit it again, like that's not a, even though it's very important, it's not technically salvitic issue, meaning Baptists might see baptism uh and this story slightly different than us but um we're still if we believe the core things about christ and salvation we're going to spend eternity in heaven talking about it mm -hmm. and 
it'll, be, it'll be nice to bask in our glory of being right. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I'm on the side of Presbyterian, but uh, <laughs> but you know, we're going to be obviously um, at that point, it won't really even matter. We're going to be okay. in glory together. So we'll just nudge our Baptist friends and say, told you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming or for listening to this, to this episode and, and make sure yeah. you guys check in next week. We have the Mosaic covenants, which is yeah. a far more nuanced covenant than I think people give it credit for. All you think is the 10 commandments, but it's got some meat behind it. And, yep. The 10 commandments, the parting of the red sea, the, the Exodus, Yep. You know, that first, uh, the Aaron <laughs> coming. Uh, yep. And I'll, I'll end it with, with this. And it's been on our Twitter and stuff, and everyone saw it. But the Abrahamic is not the mosaic. Right. It's grace. It's yeah. It, and, and I hope this was like one of our longest episodes. If, if you listen to this and you didn't get the point that the Abrahamic <laughs> is grace, yeah. like, um, yeah, you might not have been listening. And get those babies wet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sprinkle, sprinkle some water. Luckily, my uh, pastor did a little bit more than a sprinkle. It was a good, <laughs> nice. Yeah, a nice don't, you, you don't get your babies wet. Get your pastor to get your babies wet. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We're not ordained to. So yeah. hopefully, I will be next year. But that's that's another thing. Hey, that's cool. Well, all right, <laughs> all thanks, right. guys. Yep. And then Thursday we have. Dr. Carl Strobel. So this Thursday, Dr. Carl Strobel talking about um, where, where prayer becomes real. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, learned a lot, and let us know if you guys have any questions on Twitter. We'll post on next week's episode and questions that you guys have, but we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. God bless. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah. And you, after you rate and review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and uh after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll, it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further yep all for the kingdom of god thanks so much guys we'll see you guys next time